Sir, I see that you are a prophet. The woman said what she said for the wrong reason, but she did give the right answer. Let's take a little side trip into some of the uniqueness of the Gospel of John for a four-week period here. Our, our lectionary leaves the Gospel according to Matthew and takes us into John's Gospel, and each of those four weeks would allow us to have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with an individual who's in one place when the conversation starts and is in a very different place when the conversation ends. The thing that each of those conversations has in common is Jesus' presence and how he meets those people and uh, how he uh, talks together with those people. Gospel of John in general is just totally unique. Uh, it's the only gospel that's written by more than one author. It seems to have two or three people who put it together. And, and then its sequencing is different, its stories are different. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff in there that's, that's really cool and, and different about uh, kind of the, the closeness of God. It's a, it's a very connectional, relational gospel, and also the universality of, of God's love. Uh, and, and then there are these little things that are embedded in it that are kind of fun. So it's the only gospel where we hear that Jesus cries chapter 11, the Lazarus story. It's the only gospel, uh, it's the only place in the gospel where I think we get a, uh, a time of the year uh, climate report because in chapter 10, I love meteorology, these are the things I notice. Thanks for laughing. You know. uh, but, you know, uh, we're told that Jesus is, is teaching in Solomon's portico in the temple uh, because it's winter and it's cold outside. So it's, it's just good to know details like that. And in today's gospel lesson, I think it's the only place uh, where it, it specifically says that after a, a morning of walking, Jesus is tired from the journey, and so he sits next to the Jacob's well in Samaria. And that kind of creates the setting for today's story. Last week's story was Jesus and Nicodemus, uh, the, the Jewish Pharisee, so this learned, probably intense, leading figure in his community. This week we get someone so very different, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, so the encounter begins with Jesus sitting there while the disciples go into the Samaritan village to find some food. As per the, as per the children's message, uh, there, there was uh, a centuries-long uh, divide between the Jewish and Samaritan people, and that was for cultural reasons, or religious reasons, and political reasons. Um, uh, nevertheless, they were, were, they were intimately linked in many ways in terms of belief and culture. And, and so I, I think when you think of any difference in today's world, there, there's always the, the flashpoints, but there's also always kind of the, the intrigue of well, maybe the other side is onto something, or maybe there's something we should still check out. And so there's both this attraction and this uh, thing that, that kind of pulls us apart. That's uh, the Jewish-Samaritan split of that time. So it's unusual for uh, this group of, of Jesus and his disciples to be hanging in Samaritan territory. Even more unusual, though, is that it's noon and all of a sudden this woman shows up to, to draw water from the well. Uh, around the world to this day, women have the hard task of walking to the well, drawing the water up, and then carrying it excuse me, all the way back to their villages. Think how much water weighs. And if you're carrying several gallons and you're doing it over a half mile or a mile, that's a tough job. 
Normally women uh, do that in the morning or the evening. When it's cooler, here's a woman who shows up in the middle of the day. Uh, why might that be? Uh, we'll get to that. So Jesus does something that is socially unacceptable. When this Samaritan woman shows up on the scene, he asks her for a cup of water. And, and she immediately bristles at that. And that's one of the cool things about this story. Last week when we had this encounter with Nicodemus, a uh, learned guy that he was, he gets blown out of the water by Jesus. That's not even a close debate. But this is different. This woman is amazing. She matches Jesus line for line. And in fact, I think she kind of leads the conversation uh, at least halfway into it. So Jesus says, give me a drink of water. And she says, you're asking me to give you a drink of water? You're like, there's something wrong with this. Uh, he says, I'll give, you, I'll give you living water. She says, hey, you don't have a bucket, buddy. What are, you, what are you putting the living water in? Well, I'm going to give you living water that's going to stretch out to eternity. To which she then says, awesome, I'm so sick of coming to this well, I never have to come back. So uh, she is just going after him as much as he's going after her. Uh, now, finally, he does get a little edge on her because now he switches the debate and says, well, okay, fine. Uh, why do you bring your husband here? I don't have a husband. True, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you're moving with right now isn't your husband either. Now it's a little bit personal. And this is the point at which she says that little line, Sir, I perceive that you are, I see that you are a prophet. What's she doing? She's creating a little social separation between her and Jesus. He's got the little quotes she's pushing away. And she's also really adept at changing the subject. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she goes into a little explanation of the history of, of, of the view of history from her people's perspective. Jump back to what Jesus said. You, you've had five husbands, now you're kind of on number six in a sense. So the traditional interpretation is always that, that maybe she was, you know, uh, an, an immoral woman who was sweet sleeping around, and maybe that's true. Uh, given how she handles this whole interaction with Jesus, I think an equally valid possibility is that she's just like a feisty woman who has no patience for the patriarchal culture of her time, so she keeps trying out these relationships, and she gets sick of these guys, and she's out of there. And, you know, she's out of there quite a bit. And the reality is, what, whatever her background is, she's different. And a lot of times when somebody's just different in any culture, they don't fit so well. And so there's something both kind of strong about her, and there's also something kind of sad about the fact that she comes to this well without her female compatriots in morning or evening. And instead, she comes in the middle of the day because it's just easier not to be with everybody else. And it is kind of powerful that this Jesus, the most unlikely, really, of people to encounter her, she's the one guy she can't push away. But now go back to, she says, sir, I, I see that you're a prophet. And, and then she starts telling history from her people's side of it. And she says to Jesus, who she knows is a Jew, your people always tell my people that the only place we can worship is at the temple in Jerusalem, and that they're the only ones who will figure it out. And you, you can sense the, 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 the indignation of her and her people 
and, and, and the sense always being looked down on by these people from Jerusalem who think they've got the better temple and the more powerful system and, and all the resources. And she's just sick of that. And, and what Jesus says back to that is, is salvation comes through the Jews. In other words, having, having heard what she has to say, he doesn't, he doesn't disown who he is. But his real point is, is, is just because of where we're from doesn't, doesn't have necessarily anything to do with where we're going. The powerful thing about the story is that the woman is a part of a people who feel disrespected. And Jesus comes and meets her and, and he doesn't disrespect her. He hears what she has to say. And then he says, I, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, I'm, I am who I am. And, and I get to be that as well. But then what does he say next? You know, there's going to be a time where it doesn't matter if you, if you pray on the mountain in Samaria or at the temple in Jerusalem. It's, it's not where you're praying. It's, it's the God that you pray to and it's the people that you pray among, and it's the life that you lead based on the, on the prayers that you pray. That's what matters. It doesn't matter the place that you're in. And, and now, it, it, it's, it's so to me awesome that, that now the, the, the veneer and the facade that, that, that maybe she was putting up, because she always had to put it up, now that drops down, and you can almost hear her kind of wistfully saying, we know that the Messiah is coming. You know, this longing of all of us for a God who delivers in his presence and his close. I know it's coming, but when will it happen? And Jesus says, I am he. He doesn't say it in a way that's, that's proud or flaunting, and he's just saying what's true. I'm the one, I, I embody what you have longed for for so long. And, and then John is, is such a good writer because yeah, think, of, think of good writers nowadays in, in, in plays. You have these dramatic scenes, and then you always have to have a little comic relief. So, so the disciples come stumbling into the scene at this point, and they're like, well, like, should we say anything? Like, why are you talking to this woman? So you, you have these disciples being kind of, kind of, the, the maniacs that they are. And then what happens after that? Everything's been interrupted. Jesus has caught her for a moment. And that's all it takes. The reason she came was for regular water from the stupid well. And she leaves her jar there. The whole reason she came, she leaves her jar there and she runs back to her community, the community from which she had been distanced, probably. And she says to them, I've met somebody who told me everything I ever did and didn't judge me for it, didn't hold it against me the way you people probably do too. And he led me to something different and alive, and I want to tell you what it is. And in John, there's nothing more important than being an apostle, and the word means one who is sent. And here is this woman who's the first one to be sent. And this Samaritan village is a, is a Twitter, and, and, and they, 
And they invite this whole entourage of outsiders into their midst for two days. And at the end of the two days, they, they believe. They believe. So my wife, Barbara, loves to tell this story from early in her adulthood of, of just one of those moments of like, aha. Uh, she was part of a delegation from the Presbyterian Church that was doing some work in um, East Africa and Kenya. And, and uh, the, the welcoming church didn't really know what to do with Barb because she was a young adult female professional and it was a pretty patriarchal culture at that point. So was she like, who was she supposed to hang out with? Like all the men who were at the official meetings or was she supposed to hang out with the women who were like actually doing all the work? And so for the most part, she hangs out with all the men at the official meetings. But one day she uh, hangs out with the women who don't allow her to do any work, but she is hanging with the women. And so they go into the well to get water. And as they're walking to the well to get water, uh, they ask Barbara, how do you get your water? And Barbara's kind of embarrassed about this because she thinks, well, our system is like so much better. And she says, well, we just go and there are these pipes that come into our house and we turn a lever and water just comes out, hot water and cold water. And, and she, she says this, you know, just with this feeling of, oh, they're going to feel so embarrassed about the way they have to go and get water. What's the first thing a woman says to her? The first thing the woman says back to her is, how lonely for you. How lonely for you. Because for these women, it wasn't work. It was walking down the road singing together. It was walking down the road gossiping together. And it was walking down the road consulting with each other and learning from each other. It was like the best part of the day. It was community and connection is going to get the water of life, literally. So now we've got COVID-19, and perhaps we face a period of social separation from each other. Thanks for, for being here, but thanks also for taking precautions today. And we don't know, we may change our mind on whether this is even appropriate as early as Wednesday, or maybe not. We will keep you informed on all that. But as I said at the beginning of the service, I mean, physical separation is one thing, but uh, we are blessed to be in a time and place where there's no reason why we have to be spiritually or prayerfully or, or connectionally, in a sense, separated from each other. This is the time to catch up on your calling with your relatives and friends. This is the time to notice your neighbors in a little different way. Uh, this is the time to write more. Uh, this is the time to finally go through all of those pictures that have been sitting there unorganized because they tell a story and they are in connection to put them together for the story of the trip. Put them together for the story of a whole generation of people. Who knows when you'll get to tell that story, but it will be ready to go. In other words, I almost think that, that in our busyness of normalcy, as much as we think we're connected, we frequently aren't because we're just rushing past each other. And if there's any blessing in, in coronavirus, it's, it's that it stops us and we can either be defeated by that or we can be inspired and connected. Wasn't the best video of the week the 
video from Italy where they're pretty much on, on lockdown in each house. And think of a think of an Italian classical village, two-story houses, uh, the white shutters, white door frames, uh, kind of the yellow facade. And, and the video was of all of these people who flew up, pushed open their windows, and, and they sang to each other across from the street and, and from window to window. Uh, I mean, think of, this is Italy. You know, they weren't able to talk to other people. They weren't able to use their hands in some way. And, and it was so inspiring, and it was so beautiful, because it wasn't a perfect song, but it, it was the perfect song, because they sang to each other, and they were not isolated. And when's the last time they had done that? What, what was the perfect thing to do that? So pray. Pray that, that we stop the disease. Pray that, that people will get better fast. Pray for people who mourn. We'll pray not to be afraid. Pray not to hoard toilet paper. Although, if you did, it's okay. Everything's okay. And, and we'll just pray that, that our minds and spirits are actually in a better place because of this. And that when you leave here today, or four weeks, or eight weeks, or 12 weeks from now, and this is hopefully done, um, that we will absolutely live up to and be true to our identity, each and every one of us. For you and I, we are apostles, ones who are sent 